Welcome to the ICTA podcast, where we think together about unity and solidarity, or ICTA, on campus. In the ICTA podcast, we take time out to listen to students as they share their stories about what has made them feel powerful and powerless in their university journeys, and to hear their thoughts on practical steps that we can take to create more inclusive spaces at UFE. Let's learn differently together. ICTA. Eswil, and welcome to ECTA, a podcast about learning better together. My name is Victoria Surtees, and I'm UFE's internationalization specialist and your host today. I am absolutely honoured to be broadcasting from Civil Radio, located on Stolotmuk, which is the territory of the Halkamalem-speaking people of the river. Today's episode is a part two of our series on Indigenous student experience. In part one, our guests Leanne Joe and Natasha Vanke, who are here with us again today, shared about their experiences in community, as well as their experiences with indigenization at UFE. And Natasha also shared with us what has made her feel powerless and powerful here um, at UFE. So today we're going to pick up where we left off. We'll get an opportunity to hear uh, Leanne's experience. So welcome back, Leanne and Natasha. Thanks for having us. See it, Thoma. Okay, Leanne, last time we learned about how powerful it was for you to be learning Halkamalem with your grandparents and your elders in your home community. Today, I think you're going to share um, with us some experiences now at UFB, so the ones that make you feel powerful and powerless. So let's talk um, a little bit about those that have made you feel powerless first. For me, there are three moments that really stick out Two have been resolved and reconciled. One, I don't know that that it ever will be. Um, so I'll start with that one. I, I don't think that it really can be, actually. In a history course, we were tasked with writing a final paper with the perspective of being a woman um, pre-confederation and I wrote about how afraid I was because I'm indigenous and this was an online course so I don't know if the prof had any idea that I was indigenous or not um, and I wrote how I was afraid that I would be taken from my family and forced to marry one of those Frenchmen, or worse, taken to be a slave of the worst kind. And the general idea of my prof's response was that the French only had good relationships with the Iroquois, and that I would do well to use only information from the textbooks. Given that this was an online course in 2014, again, well after 2007, and I never really met the prof, nor did I really dispute the comment. I was just feeling kind of powerless. I had just been told that I had to listen to the textbook. So I rewrote the essay and achieved a B, sort of with gritted teeth. And um, my final mark was a B. But all in all, in that I felt powerless. Um, it was something that I know 
isn't true and we know now isn't true and we frequently hear people talking about the forced marriages that were the result of the Métis community and the ones who had grandmothers' names erased from their family tree and history because they were Indigenous. And um, it's those moments that people are still trying to trace back their Métis heritage. Those reasons, because of those, like, moments of shame in families where people try to erase the indigenous grandmother, those people that were forced into marriage. So that was a time where I felt powerless to write something that I knew wasn't true just to get a grade and say something that the textbook said and follow institution policies, even though I knew that there was another side to the story. Um, the second one in the Geography 464 class, uh, we were tasked with helping to rebrand the Mount Lehman community to help save their culture, history, and land from urbanization. Because they are an agricultural community, on the second day of our classes, we went to the community hall where I was standing, I was able to see Matsqui First Nation. That's where my dad is from. And as I stood there, I grew more and more annoyed because they were talking and pleading with us, with me, to help them save their community, their culture, their history, and their land. They were on my land, my dad's family land. And it was all unceded Mathakwi traditional territory. And the more they said, the angrier I got. Because not once did they mention the Mathakwi people or the Mathakwi community. Or that it was Mathakwi land. There was a mural on the school just across the street. And it was representing the colonial history painted on the wall of the school. There was no indication of indigenous life nearby but if I threw a rock hard enough to the east it would have landed on that Squee Indian Reserve lands <clears throat> that tiny little plot of land that's left for Matsqui people and I listened and I waited through the whole visit to see if they would bring up the Matsqui community but they didn't and after we all left I asked the prof Sherry, whether the Mathaqui would be included in these discussions or the information about their connection to this land. And I sat there feeling powerless for over an hour, but eventually I used my voice and created something special because now, um, after talking to Sherry, uh, she was like, in awe at herself, at me, at the situation. She was like baffled that she forgot about that and she apologized and corrected the situation. And they sort of 
adapted the course to include the information about Mathaqui and the indigenous aspect, the indigenous culture became a priority of Sherry's. And ever since then, um, we've had a great working relationship. The next one is a little more recent. Um, during this last fall, during in the Bachelor of Education, in short practicum, I was met with some questions about the amount of Indigenous information I was using in my lesson plans from one of my supervisors who was in charge of approving my lesson plans. Uh, the supervisor is hired by the education department at the university to mentor and evaluate me on my practicum. In the moment, I couldn't be sure if what I was hearing was too much or if I was being oversensitive or if what I was hearing was actually racism. And one day after a formal observation, during a private one-on-one -on -one conversation, the supervisor made another comment that I couldn't respond to. I, It was so blatantly just obvious that if I responded to it, it would have, the only way I could respond would have, would have came out as disrespectful or insubordinate. So, um, I was actually saved by the bell, literally. Um, the lunch bell went and I had to get to another meeting. So I just said, I have to go. And I left that meeting. And um, later, I gave it a couple of days. And then I discussed what I, what she said to me with one of my other supervisors, the teacher supervisor. And she assured me that what I heard was not being oversensitive and I should seek action. I still wasn't convinced that I was going to go that far. And I sat with it for a couple more days and eventually reached out to one of the Bachelor of Education program coordinators to sort through it all. Even though I reached out, I was still worried that if I spoke up too much, I would be reprimanded and I was feeling quite powerless. Um, going through it all, I tried to work through it, but over the next couple of days, things escalated and other things in my outside life were piling up too. And there were a couple of more comments made. And then in a desperate plea, I reached out to the program coordinator again and I told her that I couldn't do it anymore. I kind of maybe, maybe sounded like I meant I was going to quit the program. The program coordinator, her, the solution was to remove the supervisor from that I was having challenges with and they stepped in as my new supervisor for the remainder of short practicum so that it, I wouldn't have to deal with that stress. 
When I returned to the classes, I asked the coordinator if the department head, Vandy, was aware of the situation. The coordinator told me that Vandy was informed that things weren't working and it was being fixed. So when we went back to the class and Vandy was teaching a course called Indigenous Youth and Schooling, and each day reminding us of the importance of ensuring the safety of our Indigenous students, I was left wondering, how is it that we can say that about schools, but not this university? Is the university more concerned with protecting their staff than the safety of their Indigenous students? This led to me speaking with Shirley Hardman, and she lit my fire, but in a way that might have resulted in me reacting a little bit spitefully or quitting the program again. Um, there were a lot of times where I was at that crossroad in the fall semester because of this situation of feeling of powerlessness. And I decided to look at it kind of a different way and Shirley helped me and she challenged me to be better in a way that I couldn't see at the time um, because of how powerless I was feeling. Anyways, I thought that Vandy knew that I experienced racism and ignored it and continued to teach an Indigenous focused course about protecting youth in the schools and such. And I sat there feeling powerless and feeling resentful. And I carried it for a few weeks before saying anything, mostly because it was somebody that I thought I trusted, but I was losing trust because I wasn't communicating. And it was similar to how I didn't communicate in my first year of school at UFV when I ended up dropping out and I didn't want to quit again. So I didn't want to end up having that hit, like that first GPA hit that I took. And I communicated with Vandy and realized that she didn't know all of the details and we came to the conclusion that we were going to have a little bit of a healing circle to gain some closure and we came up with a plan during that healing circle and of how we would communicate better and how I would do better how the teacher education program would do better. The supervisor who was saying things that sounded racist has read the book called White Fragility a couple of times over in her own effort to improve with her job, with what she's doing. And... The teacher education department has spent 
a long time talking about what concrete things they can do to prevent these things from happening to other Indigenous students. And the big thing is raising awareness for all of the supervisors. Readings and professional development are now organized for every supervisor meeting so that they can grow and learn and uphold the values and commitments of the teacher education department. And Vandy says that she realized that she should have stepped in right away as soon as she had an inkling that something was going on. And she now better understands the responsibilities attached to supporting Indigenous students. Most importantly, everybody learned and we were able to heal from this because we were all open to communicating. Thank you for sharing those stories. I think they really showcase a number of things. You know, courage, first of all, Leanne, your courage um, to speak out and the strength of your community knowledge that you carry with you, I think is really amazing. But for myself, I have to say as a white settler, that's working towards allyship and decolonization. These stories are a good reminder for me. Um, they're a good reminder for me to be courageous, but to be humble, um, to know that even strong allies with strong commitments um, make mistakes and don't always get it right. Um, and I'm reminded that I will make mistakes, um, but that I shouldn't abandon the path. So I really, I treasure those stories that both of you have told. So now tell me, what makes you feel powerful here at UFE? Um, there were three key people who along the way who have been so open and receptive to the inclusion of Indigenous content that have led to the moments where I have felt empowered and being in, being in positions of feeling powerful. And the first one was um, Claire Hay. Uh, and I met her in Portfolio 398, but also took a Geography 433 with her. Um, we had a little bit of a a little bit of a bumpy start with the privilege ranking exercise that showed me and one of my friends from my home community just how askew the perception of Indigenous privilege is in the eyes of others. From there, though, when I communicated with her, how that came across and how it made us feel and me feel, um, she was very receptive and... Um, we carried that relationship into studying the advanced regional geography of Western Europe, Scotland, which is where she is from. And there were parts of the, that course that I really struggled with because I'm more human geography and not so much physical geography. And um, Claire encouraged me to push through and get to the parts that I would excel in. And I was eventually able to draw many parallels between the geography of Scotland and Indigenous ways of knowing and learning. And we were able to learn a lot from each other that year. And because of 
our ability to communicate. She was able to interpret the way that I learn and demonstrate my learning. And I appreciate that very much. And yeah. Next, again, we talked a little bit about this already, was, is Sherry Enns in Geography 464. Uh, from that moment with the Mount Lehman community, uh, I started that course with a friend and took that moment of powerlessness and I was able to communicate with Sherry and she heard my concerns and she and my friend and I worked together to incorporate a meeting with the Mount Lehman community and an information session with Ken Braley and Sonny McKelsey to inform Mount Lehman about the history of Mathaqui First Nation and the fact that they were on unceded territory and to revitalize their culture, history, and community and save their land from urbanization, they might want to build a relationship with the, the First Nation neighbors. Um, and along this journey, Sherry didn't miss a beat with remembering to be inclusive of Indigenous stakeholders. And now her and I have an amazing working relationship and she's one of my favorite people. We have worked on other projects project since then and she was the one who initiated the nomination for me to receive the lieutenant governor's medal for indigenous inclusivity in 2019 which natasha won this year congratulations thank you and then last but not least vandy britain i first met vandy in the ids 400 course which is the Reconciliation for Residential Schools course. Then we worked together on a partnership for the Mathaqui community to help indigenize the curriculum with the inclusion of some oral stories and traditional ways of knowing and learning and helping them revitalize some of their stories. Then attending the teacher education program at UFE, where Devendi is the department head. And through our history together, I have trusted her with a great many things, but yeah, she's super great. So what I'm hearing run through all of these stories is, is this advocacy and relationships. Um, these sort of twin pieces that are creating empowerment and and places to create and enact change um, and how powerful that is for both of you. Um, and what powerhouses you are as um, Lieutenant Governor General medal winners, that's amazing. And I just wanna congratulate both of you because that's a huge, a huge achievement. So well done there. So now that you're experts in teaching, experts in, digi in indigenization, <laughs> experts in inclusion, um, I think we have to ask you, um, what can UFE instructors 
do. So currently, maybe you know, the institution has around 780 Indigenous students. So that's roughly 8% of the student population. And the goal is to increase that annually moving forward. Um, and indigenization is part of that, about making a more inclusive space. But we know that indigenization, as you were mentioning, isn't just for Indigenous students, right? Indigenization and decolonization is for everyone. So um, what advice would you have for instructors and staff who are working with Indigenous students or who might want to um, begin to indigenize their classes and services? Um, I think the first step um, for anyone actually would be just to take the time to reflect on your own decolonization journey um, without any judgment we're all at different stages in our journey whether you're just a beginner or whether you feel like you've come to a really good place um, but just continue to look for those blind spots that we all have you know this um, bachelor of education program really showed me some of my own blind spots that I have to work on and um, when you can find those spots, you can shine some light on them. Um, I think the next one would be just to like really work on incorporating Indigenous pedagogies um, in the classroom, even, you know, at the university level, because this won't only benefit the Indigenous students. It will benefit the entire class, including the instructor. Um, so just looking at your lessons or your activities or your assessments just to determine if you have um, an area where you can, you know, interweave these Indigenous pedagogies into the curriculum. Um, the next would be value storytelling when possible. So find opportunities for students to connect um, with their own stories and their own cultures and their own histories. And, um, you know, also find ways for students to learn from elders. So don't let like systemic barriers hold Indigenous leaders or knowledge keepers or fluent speakers back. Um, and this is maybe a, a like a system thing for UFB, a systemic barrier. Um, let them in and create space for them um, where they can participate and where they can be heard. And then I guess the last would be um, something that I just never saw happen in my experience. Um, besides the bachelor of education program, I did see it happen there. Um, but decolonize the classroom. So just change this. Don't be afraid to change the seating arrangement from the traditional student sits in the rows and teacher stands at the front and does all of the talking and the lectures ended. <laughs> if the lectures and if the lectures long, take them outside. Everyone could use a moment to go outside. Incorporating place-based learning practices doesn't just benefit little kids in elementary school. It benefits us all as a human and as a whole. Um, so those are just my little my little tidbits from my humble opinion. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny, Natasha, I think, you know, in a post-COVID era here, I think we all need a little bit more mindfulness, a little bit more connectedness to each other and to place. I know I'm feeling it. And going outside is really is really helping me to stay focused in a, you know, a space where I used to be able to sit and listen to a lecture, no problem. And now that's just not the case mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so I do want to put a plug in here for my colleague Lorna. So if there are faculty wondering what is an Indigenous pedagogy, um, my faculty Lorna is the Indigenization specialist and she can certainly answer some of those questions for you and um, guide you on your decolonization journey. So her information will be in the resources below the podcast. So Leanne, I'll turn it over to you. I think the best thing that educators can do is to have an open door for communication um, if 
those three profs that I mentioned before didn't have that openness and willingness to communicate, I probably wouldn't have made it through that, those situations of, you know, feeling that little bit of powerlessness or in some cases, a lot of powerlessness. Um, there were others along the way too, but those three really stood out by far, uh, especially because each of them was so welcoming and inclusive of Indigenous pedagogy and Indigenous oral stories to supplement coursework. Um, there was another situation in Geography 202, um, and that's a Landforms and Processes course. So um, we went on a field study through the Fraser Canyon up to Chasm Provincial Park to learn about landforms and processes. And I was super nervous about going out of town for a night with strangers and being away from my kids. But the only thing that kept me interested was that the profs allowed me to uh, share some of the oral stories about the landforms. Like, we, we were going to learn the science of it, mm -hmm. but they also allowed me to share the, the traditional oral stories that go with the rock in the river or how the river was formed and just things like that that help get through that and I like sharing stories and you know that sort of is why this is like it made it that much easier to get through that I wish I'd been on that bus with you, Leanne. <laughs> Do you know I go up to Chasm about six times a year? Really? So I would have loved to uh, listen to some of your stories. So maybe we'll have to get together and have a chat sometime. Do it. Leanne has <laughs> the best stories. I could listen to her stories all day long. <laughs> well, and actually, I wish I could listen to all your stories uh, for all the night through here. But I think we're coming to a close um, with our podcast today. But I think that maybe uh, you have a song to share with us. Do you? Yeah, so I actually reached out to Leanne, and I was, um, before I reached out to her, I was reflecting just on this journey that we kind of took together um, over the last year, and I thought, what a better way to sing the Woman's Warrior song together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of us. We did it, and I think this would be a good way to kind of close off this chapter. All right. <laughs>
sister. <laughs> oh, oh my thank goodness. you. Thank you so much. Well, that was fabulous. Well, I have to say, you know, Kwasai. 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 And um, I do wish you strength as you move on to pursue your graduate studies, since I know both of you are, are moving in that direction. Um, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and I want to thank our listeners for uh, sticking with us. And just to remind you that for a summary of our talk and some links to many, many resources um, from UFE and beyond, just um, check the description below the podcast. But if you did find today's um, episode useful, please do reach out to me. Again, my name is Victoria Surtees, and my email is victoria.surtees, that's S-U-R-T-E-E-S, at ufe.ca. Again, thank you for joining us. This has been an episode of ICTA, and we'll listen to the lovely sounds of Saint Soldier. Thanks, and we'll see you again. ICTA is hosted by UFE's Teaching and Learning Centre and sponsored by UFE International. Music by Saint Soldier. No matter how long it takes us, no matter how much this world breaks us, may we live here in peace, live here as one from Bolivia to Greece, from India to Canada and everywhere between. Namaste to everyone I see. Namaste, I recognize that it's one. Namaste, and the suffering is done. Namaste, 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 Namaste.